You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air, and I'm here with always typical Lydia on today's show we're going to be doing a fan requested movie you want to say classic don't you I do want to say classic and this is a classic don't get me wrong but it is a fan requested movie brought into us hot by Marion Bennett thank you Marion very much the 1983 slasher sleepaway camp and much like Marion I too adored this film as a child. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, Marion asked us specifically to, not specifically, but she did suggest what we should do is the Sleepaway Camp trilogy, but I don't want this episode to be six hours, and I just really wanted to focus on the first Sleepaway Camp. But Completely, as any- yeah, because the other ones just aren't, don't have that exact same sort of shock factor that this did when we first watched it. Robert Hiltzik, that's the guy that... Yeah, same director for that and Return to Sleepaway Camp, but not two and three. Yeah, exactly. They're very different tonally. Uh, The sequels, they were filmed at the exact same time, two and three. The original creators disowned them and then eventually would do Return to Sleepaway Camp, which in his mind is is a direct sequel, which is... uh, Was it 2009? Yeah, something like that. Now, Camp Slashers are really big. But when people talk about them, they really only talk about a few. We talk about The Burning when we did that, our very first episode, chronologically speaking. And people talk, obviously, Friday the 13th. But when people are talking about Friday the 13th, the second camp slasher most people will bring up is 1983's Sleepaway Camp. Not only because it has a camp in the title, and it's so perfectly camp. It has all the trappings that any summer camp typically does. Yes. And as we were discussing while we were watching it... The kids seem age appropriate. Mm-hmm. Much like the burning, the burning had a good mixture of young and old kids, but it really focused on the older kids. Like the too old, they're way too old to be kids. Kids. Yeah. They were pretty old, you know. Jason Alexander and his troop, mm-hmm. uh, like the forty-five-year-old children at this camp. <laughs> Sleepaway Camp, on the other hand, the actors and actresses were all specifically chosen. Because they were so young. Felisa Rose is 13 years old. Which still bends my mind every time I watch it. She looks 16, 17. She really, really does. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the like full body shots you see are some longer shots. Yeah, she has the body of a 13-year-old girl for sure. But her face, she mm-hmm. was cast so extremely well. They really lucked out with her. Mm-hmm. Apparently the casting process for her was, um, oh, for anyone going for that role, really was sitting quietly, looking wide-eyed, because that is what's asked of her a lot of the film. It's a good chunk into the movie before she even really utters her first line. Yeah. But, I mean, she kind of nails that, like, frightened animal look. Frightened animal or vacant or, you know, just wishing you'd go away. Not necessarily thinking of how to (laughs) respond, but just wishing you'd go away. Yeah. Kind of look. And it was interesting because sometimes when you are depicting shy people or people who really just can't introverts basically a lot of people are compelled to 
oh, portray them as if they're struggling to find something to say or they say awkward shit and everyone kind of deadpans to it. But this performance is really, look at them like they're speaking a complete different fucking language from you and you cannot understand a word that they're saying and make no attempt to try to interpret it. Just wait for them to talk and in your mind think they'll tire themselves out eventually. (laughs) And they'll just go away because we've been through this all my life. (laughs) Yeah. It's fantastic. I love Angela. Yeah, who doesn't? Mm. The premise of this movie is pretty simple. People go to a camp and, oh shit, Ricky brings his cousin. This is their first time there. They're sent off by Ricky's mother, Angela's aunt. <laughs> like fucking Looney Tunes. This, this character, as brief in the movie as she is, is so fucking bizarre. Like she's from a different fucking movie altogether. Not just how she's dressed, which looks like she's out of the 50s. But just the way that she speaks is so fucking bizarre. Where she'll say a sentence and then bring a, a finger to her chin and then respond as if someone else is kind of adding to the conversation. But she's really just talking to herself. And she's imbalanced to a certain extent, that's for sure. And it's not a wonder why her first husband left her. It's not a wonder at all. She's fucking nuts. Water and... under the bridge, Lydia. <laughs> Water under the bridge. So do you think that he left her because she's this fucking crazy? Or do you think that his leaving her made her this crazy? I have a sense that she was probably fairly normal, but quirky. Yeah. And then when he left, it kind of sent her over the edge. Yeah, it just snowballed into this. She's affecting this like transatlantic dialogue which was only popular in the 50s her clothing is trapped in the 50s her mm-hmm. whole idea of this white picket fence boy and girl kind of like perfect family mm-hmm. but doing it on her own kind of thing is a very 50s good housekeeping thing that she's trapped in mm-hmm. terrifying it's super weird yeah i love her makeup and everything she reminds me a lot of delia Dietz from beetlejuice just this perfect face red red lips everything has to be perfect 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 and if it's not perfect she's gonna freak the fuck out so yeah it's funny that you say that because just before you said that, I was thinking in my head that she was very Tim Burton-y design. If, like, Tim Burton was trying to design, like, squares. Yeah. Like, here are people that are going to get freaked out later in the movie. It would look like that. This ultra wasp psycho that you're going to be afraid of just because they might go fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When the movie starts out, we did skip, well, there's a tragic accident. There's a boating accident, which is the most ridiculous boating accident I've ever seen in any movie. That's not really a complaint. And I want to put this on Front Street right now. I love this fucking movie. You cold-hearted bitch. That is a terrible accident. It's harrowing and (laughs) terrifying. Okay, so basically speaking, when you're on a boat, and this is the craziest thing. We had a cottage. We have a cottage. And... We were boating our whole lives. And then as I became an adult, I found out that you needed a license to drive a boat. I was so confused by that because I was like, why? What do you need a license to drive a boat for? It's open water. It's not like you're driving a car down a busy road. But these people definitely need a license to drive a boat. (laughs) Yeah, Because with nothing else on the water except for one family, and they're constantly just not looking ahead of themselves, and then with... Time to spare, instead of turning the boat and just, goodbye boat, I'm not going to hit anybody, we're going to accelerate the boat, and then 
smuck like a dad. And the two kids. And the two kids. That's insane. And it's very close to the shoreline. It's so close. But I wouldn't say it's the stupidest boating accident ever because it was a horrible accident regardless of where or why. It's stupid because it was super preventable, I feel. You're just the man that fun forgot. They were obviously drunk and having fun water skiing. Of course they fucking ran into another boat. (laughs) All right. I can see exactly how it happened. Really? Oh, yeah, totally. And the whole needing a license to drive a boat thing is kind of new. That's crazy to yeah. me. A license to drive a boat, you say? Somebody <laughs> told me that. And I was like, I was fucking piloting the motorboat at the cottage since I was a wee lad. Way before you even thought of driving a car. I know. Yeah. Like, like, I was like, drive a car? Are you out of your mind? He's six. Now. <laughs> drive the boat out with your with your kid with your brother and sister and shit. Yeah, like yeah. I was like, wow. Well, I guess it's the same reaction that people would have had when having to uh, put on your seatbelt in your car became a law. Yeah, I know. Same right? sort of resistance, the same sort of like you know bullheadedness that you're showing when it comes to needing a license to drive a boat. People probably reacted very similarly. Like, what the hell? Who's going to tell me to put my seatbelt on? Yeah, or the, or the other thing. They're like, uh, where's your where's your boat safety stuff? Where's your life jacket? I'm like, life jacket? You swim to the fucking shore if something happens. <laughs> I don't know. Unless you're on this lake. I know, I thought it was terrifying. Although, it's just not bloody enough. Yeah, but this movie has its fair share of blood. So I feel like it's okay. Although, it's not like one of those horror movies where... When it starts out, some horror really likes to kick you in the balls and say, this is what you're in for, Reanimator comes to mind, where they do a really gory set piece immediately to sort of get you in the mood. Yeah, to get you in the mood. Yeah, wet, so filthy. wet your palate a little bit. Yeah. Well, this movie's got some filthy shit in it, Lydia. Oh, completely. And I didn't realize how much I had watched this several times when I was younger, Rewatched mm-hmm. it as a teen, mm-hmm. and then... Uh, rewatched it a couple years ago when it hit, I guess, Netflix or something. Mm-hmm. Probably Netflix. And then watched it after the Faculty of Horror did a really good summer special on it. And they pointed out exactly how filthy it was. And it didn't really dawn on me. So I guess my filter is like really thick for mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I was always kind of squicked out by one of the first kills, actually. Um, that guy whose name I can't remember. The cook? Yeah, the cook. Super creeper. Yeah, super squicked out by him. But I didn't realize like how filthy this movie is and the amount of swearing. I'm surprised that my parents let us watch it. <laughs> really? Just on account of the swearing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people talk about the swearing in like The Exorcist. I'm like, man, you should see the swearing in uh, Sleepaway Camp. Pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a, that's kids just cussing up a storm. We had said in casting Ricky, all they wanted was somebody with a total stiffler mouth, someone that could swear up a storm. Mm-hmm. The casting process for this movie was very unique, and it was kind of what can you, this is what the character is going to kind of embody, and we need you to do this as authentically as possible. So for the case of Ricky, it was just a string of bringing kids in and seeing how they could string together profanity. And man, Ricky's real good at it. Yeah, he is. He is. And it's constant because so many people are picking on his cousin. He's super defensive of her, which is very sweet. It is very sweet and kind of natural, I think. And that's the way... Because they behave a lot like brother and sister, right? Mm, Well, they were raised together. Yeah. So that's the way you'd like to think that siblings would defend one another. But everyone fucking swears in this movie. Oh, yeah. Constant. Like, everybody, everybody. Oh, yeah. It's 
basically the the commerce which is how kids are I, when i was a kid me and all my friends would swear constantly and that's how come i always thought it was ridiculous when parents say oh I'll watch your language around my kid and I'm, look i don't have kids so maybe i'm wrong in this regard but i, I was just i was like you kids do they go to school they know every curse word and probably some that you don't they even spend time looking up new ones in case yeah. they've missed one along the way yeah, no, it's totally true. But you'd think that, like, at a camp, and the camps that I was at, and the camps that I was a counselor at, we didn't let the kids talk like that. Wait, 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 wait. What? You were a camp counselor? Yeah, someone fucked up there, didn't they? Who yeah. the fuck let you do that? Uh, what camp was this? Uh, it was a day camp. We did have a few weekend things and stuff like that, but I did craft. Because <laughs> I'm crafty. It was my job for about two and a half years when I was 15, 16, going on 17. Really? Yeah, they paid good. And it was right down the road from my house. Really? Weekends off, nine to five. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good deal. Did you, like, sing songs with the kids? No. Like, Kumbaya? Absolutely not. Really? No. Did did you read them scary books? No, but I did bring in some uh, metal music and some punk music because I decided that I was bored listening to them make kid sounds and (laughs) (laughs) what's with with all those kid sounds you're making yeah (laughs) you're doing you mean talking yeah (laughs) shut the fuck up (laughs) i was was a good camp counselor calm down but i decided because i wanted to listen to my music and i wanted to bring in some of the cure and punk and metal okay and um I decided that during lunch hour, everyone should be able to bring in CDs and we'd all like vote on what CD to listen to over lunch. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Brilliant. Really? Yeah. Very few times did we have to listen to garbage music because most of the time I'd bring in something that all the kids would be like, outvote any other suggestion because they'd be like, oh, we want to listen to this. Um, Jane's Addiction one because mm-hmm. it had naked people with their heads on fire on the cover and kids like that kind of stuff. I know I did. Yeah. And we did, a, like, a haunted house and stuff. Like, I did stuff that I would like to do. <laughs> I will mold these children into little versions of me. Yeah. Somebody gave you too much power. Yeah, they certainly <laughs> did. But, like I said, it paid good and it was 9 to 5. What do you do? I suppose. My experience with actual camp, we had a cottage, so have. I don't know why I keep saying had. We have a cottage, so I grew up there. So I didn't spend a lot of time in camp. However, I think I mentioned this in the burning episode. My experience with camp was going to Golden Lake Camp. Now we have a cottage, so when I was growing up, that was primarily where we spent our time. So I didn't really go to a an annual summer camp experience. But my great aunt was a nurse there. Yeah, she was a nurse there. And so we would kind of just go, I would go with my cousins. And that was kind of like, you know, the t-shirts and the short shorts and all the boring games and sing songs and shit like that, that I couldn't stand. And I, I distinctly remember being at the camp and not wanting to be there ever. And it wasn't so much that I don't like those types of activities, but they separated us into age groups, which I guess is common in, in camps and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I was instantly separated from my brother and my sister and my cousins because I was the youngest by far. So it didn't really go well 
with me being super shy. So I definitely see a lot of myself in Angela where I'm just sitting there terrified of everyone who's trying to talk to me because I'm just not, my heart's not in it. Like I don't want to be there. Yeah, I've never understood that that mixed group mentality when it comes to hurting kids and conscripting kids into summer camps and stuff like that. It mm -hmm. doesn't sound like any fun to me except for the outgoing children or kids that are used to that sort of thing being uh, shuttled off to daycares and stuff like that all their lives. Mm -hmm. So they're used to that sort of thing. When you're not used to that and when you have the outdoor experience, the cottage experience, and you can go boating or swimming or whatever whenever you want without yeah. that structure. Yeah. It's not forced on you. It's yeah. actually fun when you yeah. do it. Because it, it is weird. It's like we're eating at this time where you're going to go. You're having these are your designated fun times. You got to go with the counselors and play a game you don't want to play. You got to sing songs you don't like. Got to eat apples and bananas. That's the song. Yeah. It's not me eating fruit, which I do like to eat. <laughs> I know the song. I know the song quite well. Okay, we're just... Yeah. yeah, yeah. I won't sing it. I'm sure our listeners are aware of the apples and bananas song. <laughs> if they're not, no, I'm not going to sing it. My experience with camp because of that is so vague in the back of my mind that honestly, had I not seen photos of it over the years constantly, I might actually have forgotten entirely that we even did it. But then it's all brought back to me and I just remember that I hated it. Especially that you like you go into the you go into the lake, and then I remember having to get out of the water, and you had to shower after you went swimming in the lake because I guess the 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 lake was not as clean as you'd want it to be. That would be the itch. When I was a counselor, we had one kid that had a total meltdown, freakout, and nearly went into tremors because he felt itchy after going swimming, Ugh. and. We he, we had to put him off into a shower. We we're at a, a different camp, Camp Tillicum, which is hilariously named Camp Till I Come. Oh my god! Everyone just loved that. I didn't catch on until <laughs> I was like fifteen, and then it was hilarious. Camp Tillicum, <laughs> and it's T I L L I C U M. Get out! Get in! Do you think that people who made that fucking camp didn't put two and two together? I don't know. That or they were just stoned assholes or were like, <laughs> camp till I come. Yeah, I know. There's always going to be like, of five people who founded the camp, two of them would probably think it's really funny, but the rest of them would be like, we can't call this camp till I come. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Apparently, according to horror films, that's what people do. <laughs> it's true. That's exactly true. what the point of fucking <laughs> camping is, especially these fucked up group little army camps that they send kids to. But it could mean something in, um, you know, Ojibwe. It probably means something in Ojibwe. I'll just bet that it means something in Ojibwe. It probably means camp by the sunset bay. Until you come. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I went to a month-long camp, and it was like more like a survival thing and like hardcore camping camp. It wasn't like a fun camp like this. We so you have like bears and shit? Fuck, exactly. Bear wrestling was my favorite thing to do. Um, but rock climbing okay, and stuff like that. And like 14-day canoe trips with like three-kilometer portages. And stuff now, you like hang that. on a second here. That sounds like burning territory to me. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. It was awesome. Uh, but I distinctly remember meeting up with the girls at this camp 
that had gone to Bible camp all of the time, all of their lives, every single year. Okay. And I basically pressured them into singing every single song so that I could dissect every single song and see how fucked up all this was that they, you know, thought was fun and normal. And I thought was absolutely fucking brainwashed cult tactic. It was awesome. Anyway, back to sleepaway camp. <laughs> Till I come. <laughs> so basically... We flash forward from what you call a stupid boating accident that destroys lives <laughs> and forces poor Angela to have to live with her crazy fucking aunt. Yeah. And we end up revisiting with Ricky this camp. I don't know why Angela had never gone to camp before. I have a feeling that given Angela's unique situation, her aunt probably would have isolated her as much as possible. And this was probably the year where she finally relented and said, okay. I will allow you out of the house. It doesn't look like she really gets out a lot. Yeah, and she does want these perfect kids, right? Yeah. So, so you would want that experience. Part of the conditioning. Mm-hmm. Because it basically is. Brainwashing conditioning. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to do to Angela. But Ricky's so used to this. She sticks out sort of like a sore thumb, I guess, in that sort of culture where kids are supposed to, like, just allow people to herd them around and force them to have fun. Um and they're going to play nice and have fun. She sticks out like a sore thumb. Ricky's very used to it. So, of course, he's instantly protective because he kind of knows what's coming. I guess they go through this at school mm-hmm. often enough. And not only that, but he had been to that camp several times and over the years. So a lot of these, they're like his summer friends. So he knows a lot of them and, and God, like the rowdiness of some of these kids. So he knows that he probably feels that, oh, my cousin's going to get fucking eaten alive by these people. Yeah, but he's also pretty cool about it. So he's just like, I got your back. Yeah. And, you know, he maybe he thinks that, like, anyone would just, well, maybe she'll hook up with someone and have fun. Or maybe she'll meet a friend. Or maybe there'll be another quiet kid there that, you know, they can, like, bond or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it stops, starts all off on the wrong foot because, like you said, he does have friends there. These annual friends of his. His ex-girlfriend-ish type person, Judy. Well, the girl he went steady with last year. Yeah. She's very mean. She uh, she is uh, sort of grown up, grown out, and now has the attention of lots of boys and doesn't really have time for old Ricky anymore and really blows him off uh, the, the second they meet and pretty dismissive. But he doesn't really seem to let it get to him too much because he's like, ah, well, I guess I'm not good enough for her anymore. I'm like, poor little fella. Yeah, it's all right. he still kind of tries to be friendly at least and he tries to kind of pick her up later. Like he's still just kind of having fun at camp i guess yeah he seems way more interested in playing sports and hanging out with his friends and uh rough housing the typical uh preteen, early teenage boy right yeah and the stuff like, that he does every year yeah exactly now what about all these uh <laughs> the counselors and supervision that they have at this fucking camp instantaneously you are given a haunting window <laughs> into the mindset of some of these people. Instantly, when they're getting off the bus. Ugh. You know, sometimes when we're doing this show and we're watching horror movies and I'm just like, Ben, I love this stuff. And then all of a sudden a creepy guy comes in and he just starts leching after young people and I instantly get wigged out and I'm just like, ugh. This taints this whole thing for me because i always forget because this will be the scene that somebody else sees and admonishes horror films exactly because of the whole baldies statement oh my god i've never heard that outside of this movie by the way no me neither 
But then again, we don't hang out with creepy fucking pedos. I know. Like, it Instantly. is super fucking creepy. Instantly. And, you know, you know the craziest thing about it is the fact that other people just kind of laugh it off. James Earl Jones' dad is just like, <laughs> they don't even know what you're talking about, son. <laughs> Where I had to say, when I first watched this, I didn't know what the fuck he was talking about either. Yeah, it probably either. didn't even strike me at all how creepy that scene is. I know. And the fact that, like, what's weird to me is that someone wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> they're basing it on something in their life, which is sad. But then they pre- they present this script to the actor, and the actor says these lines and delivers them believably. Yeah, he does a really good job, actually. He, yeah, that he, actor does he, a really he's good job. really great. Um, when he says that they make his mouth water, I think his mouth actually waters. When he was chewing on something, but the other adults around him, where he's clearly outlining these things, he's saying he's not being subtle about it at all. And everyone is just, yeah, that's how he is. That guy. We didn't have the same sort of awareness or laws back then. And even, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years before that, people got away with a way more fucking heinous violence against children. Specifically sexual violence against children. Mm. And it wasn't treated the same way that we treat it now. And it was only beginning to be treated properly back then Mm -hmm. so i can sort of see why it was why the other characters react to that character the way they do because it's not like nowadays where people wouldn't stand for that sort of shit man nowadays if you were say something like that you'd have like 20 people fucking jump down your throat instantaneously you would never have that fucking job oh man and like someone would probably like alert like csis or something like that and like be like kicking down your door and like pulling your computer out and shit like that totally Totally, and warranted, and oh, rightfully yeah, yeah. so. Yeah, and then you'd probably be candidate for the program that they're running for people who suspect they might be pedophiles at their royal uh, hospital. Yeah. So it's a totally different climate now. Yeah, Thank totally God. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but back then, I guess, you know, it was that, not generally accepted because that's a, that wasn't accepted, but it happened with more frequency Mm -hmm. and people didn't know how to react to that. And there was no, you know, social or political economic or justice system in place to deal with pedophiles properly whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So it was left to the whims of their own families, which probably turned a blind eye to it. Oh yeah. Just look away, look away. Yeah. Especially when Angela, who's been at the camp for a few days now, hasn't uttered a word to anybody. And also she's not eating. So the counselors seem to think that, oh, well, maybe it's just she doesn't like the food. So they bring her to the back of the kitchen. And he's all over her. Immediately. He's all over her. In front of people, or he's just like, oh, I bet I can find something in the back that you want. Just close talking to her and shit like that. And then it's like people are right outside. People are in the kitchen. And you went into the walk-in pantry and it starts taking his belt off immediately. Then Ricky flies in, and thankfully, and then the cook like threatens him, and then Ricky swears he won't say anything. They run out, and then in a big that I really liked, where where he um, the, out of frustration, the guy punches a produce box because I've been there, uh, and. <laughs> No, in the frustration. Sound is so wrong. No, hang on the a second so here. Wrong. No, hang on a second. I work, no, hang on a second here. I meant like when I'm fr- stressed out at work and I get mad, I'll punch like a box of celery. Has none, hey, hang on a second. Has nothing to do with that. When you're frustrated about what, Wes? About work, Lydia. Okay. About work. Okay, okay. Just checking. 
Just checking, because that's what we do here in the 21st century. All right. And then they both run out. And then people want an explanation. He's like, oh, I guess I scared him. And, and then everyone's like, yeah, I guess. What the fuck? <laughs> anyway, he gets his comeuppance with the biggest cooking pot I've ever seen in my entire life. No, yeah, that's pretty normal. I've worked in kitchens and stuff, and, like, yeah. It's not. It's big, yeah. But it needs to be big to cook, like, 7,000 years of corn. I guess so. Yeah. I'd never seen anything like it until I saw this movie. That's just a big industrial kitchen pot. It is huge. It's almost the size of these campers, you know? Yeah. You could boil a camper pretty easy. You boil three campers in that. It's about a three camper pot. <laughs> like well, a 50-gallon pot. We get our first official murder in the movie. Cause, well, not murder, because he's not dead but man, I bet he wishes he was. Oh yeah, it is a pretty horrific death, and it reminds me somewhat of how creeped out and grossed out and squicked out I get watching my most favorite death scene in Halloween Two, the death by sauna, mm-hmm. <laughs> or death by hot tub. Sorry, yeah, but yeah, death by hot tub. My most favorite favorite scene because it's like boiling lobster people. Yeah. <laughs> this is a little more gross, actually. Though. And a little bit more believable, because as you pointed out in our Halloween 2 commentary track that we did over Halloween, uh, the, the saunas don't get that hot. Hot tubs don't get that hot. Well, hot tubs hot tubs don't get that hot. No. Yeah. But boiling water. Certain, certainly does. Three campers, or a bunch of corn. Yeah, we're not eating the campers, Lydia. We're cooking corn here. <laughs> I gotta make a movie. <laughs> or return some videotapes. It is believable because water would need to be getting hot. And he's kind of scuffling around the, like, in his angry mode because this guy's always angry. He's in the kitchen, like, bitching about the water not boiling yet and going to get salt. And he's pissed off about that. And then he gets up and he's like, that's a good girl. So he's, like, happy because the water's boiling now. Yeah. God, he's filthy. He's gross. Yeah. So is this whole camp, actually, because those flypapers hanging everywhere gross me out really, really badly. Yeah, they're all talking pretty casually with an incalculable amount of flies just stuck to all that paper. <laughs> and even during the scene, the first time you see the hand of the killer, mm-hmm. a fly whizzes past in the screen. It's just yeah. like flies everywhere. It's disgusting. It kind of reminds... I mean, that's it's summertime. It's a camp. There's food everywhere. So yeah. there'd be a lot of flies. It's like when I went to a fair as a kid and my fa- my fondest, my most vivid memory of that was the fact that there was just so many wasps. So many wasps everywhere. Just wasps all over the place. So I kind of feel like this might be the same situation, but with flies. Did they film it at like a real camp? Was it they a, did, an active actually. Camp? It was an active camp. This was filmed in the off seasons. The establishing shots at the beginning of the movie, it is clearly fall. Yeah, yeah. Um, they remedied that later on with, by spray painting the leaves green. Mm-hmm. So it would still kind of look like summer, but this was a actual functioning camp. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, the... Uh... They just left all the flies. They need... <laughs> we'll need those. Don't take those away. We'll need those flies. <laughs> yeah. For authenticity, Lydia. For authenticity. Now, this is considered a horrific accident. No one's really responsible. Now, the guy that runs the camp, this uh, cigar-smoking Mel dude, he really wants to keep this quiet he's like the the mayor in jaws where he's like oh nothing to worry about here folks i don't want to scare anybody I want everyone swimming <laughs> it's repeated again in uh the last year's release some kind of hate 
there's a couple deaths at, the, at this retreat. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a camp, but it's like a retreat for delinquents. And um, as the deaths happen, they want to keep it quiet because they don't want anyone to panic. They don't want to be shut down. And that's his biggest fear, Mel's biggest fear, is that they would be shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is easily explained away. He was cooking. He slipped. The pot fell on him. He's not dead. He's just in excruciating pain. Might be blind. We're not exactly sure yet. He's screaming out the door. Yes, too early to tell. Too early to tell. And he maybe deserved to be boiled alive. Maybe. Mm -hmm. And now the new cook is going to get 50 bucks more a week. Everyone else gets 15 bucks more a week. And we all just say, he got a new job and let's not worry about it. I'm happy. This was a good movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, it's not over. No, there's more. Stuff that's harder to explain away as an accident. But our second... Now what we're sort of seeing Angela and everybody getting more accustomed to each other. Ricky's buddy uh, seems to take a shining to her. But everyone else is doing camp stuff. Camp stuff. Secret camp stuff. Like skinny dipping. Oh, you didn't mean like fun camp stuff. Like archery range and like, you know, meals together and singing Kumbaya. No, I mean, let's get naked and go swim in a lake. Oh. Well, the problem with this is that they can't get any of the ladies really interested, you see, because they they're all wise to this. Trip. Yeah, they're all wise to this. It's like, yeah, like I'm, we're gonna get, all get naked and swim with you boys. Now, this is Friday the Thirteenth. Everyone would be swimming naked, and it would be awesome. But in sleepaway camp, they're like, uh, no, <laughs> no, you creeper. Yeah, you guys are all creepy, rightfully so, because it is basically just a big pack of dudes in their tidy whities just. Let's all get naked. It's going to be fun. And, oh, no, women want to come? Well, we're all going to do it with each other. I'm like, all right. I mean, they don't do it, but they do it. Although this this movie is a little realistic. It's a little more realistic than something like Friday the 13th, where oh, yeah. everyone is just simply there to fuck. But here, it's at least the kids are a little more squeamish about it, mm-hmm. and it's a little more innocent, especially Angela's first kiss. That's a very innocent scene and very typical of camp, I'd like to imagine, because I don't really know, because I didn't really attend these sorts of camps. Yeah, me either. I certainly wasn't getting kissed at camp. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, that's what uh, Bible camp is all about. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Meg and Judy rule the roost. Oh, yeah. And it's weird because Meg is a counselor. Yeah. So that's a person that has been brought there to be in charge of somebody else. And she comes in kind of with this no-nonsense attitude. The name is Meg, M-E-G, don't fucking forget it, do what I say. But then she's conspiring with Judy, who's clearly harassing a a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. It's weird. They're evil. Very evil. They deserve to die. You, uh, okay. But the weirdest thing is, as as cruel as they are, they don't, their deaths take a while. Now, that is in the structure of a lot of slashers, typically the asshole characters. They usually get it the worst or the best in some people's estimation. And it's usually left up until later. No, they need to do a lot of things to convince you that they need to die. And mm-hmm. we're left with a lot of room for that to grow to be fair a lot of the initial stuff is more snarky comments yeah than actual actions um the boys wanting to get angela to to strip 
not not that they're like strip, but they mm-hmm. wanted to go skinny dipping yeah. with them because not enough girls have agreed to do this escapade. And they figured they would try. Yeah, it was more. It, it didn't seem like they even thought it would be successful. It was more like they were kind of daring each other. Oh, I because they want to kind of see each other fail. You know what I'm saying? Like, Which doesn't really explain why they instantly get so aggravated with her. And start insulting her? I feel sometimes that it's a common writing technique that when someone is different or not, when someone is not responding in the way that somebody wants and you're trying to escalate the scene, it's very common to just have them get instantly belligerent. Now, to be fair, I've seen enough interactions where guys are trying to get with a woman and get rejected and the worm fucking turns on their personality and they instantly start throwing out insults. Yeah, threaten her, berate her, insult her, yeah. or get other people in on it or yeah. will turn to somebody else and be like, look at this fucking bitch. Meg's reaction is the most puzzling to me. Judy it seems to kind of come out of nowhere and doesn't like her... It doesn't really like the attention that Angela is getting from a guy that she's not even interested in. She's also just a bitch. She's very, very mean. Yeah. And, uh, but Meg doesn't really make any sense. They seem to, to think that, oh, she's some sort of pampered princess and everyone's doting on her because she's not talking and not really eating. And so you'll go get special food or special treatment. Oh, she doesn't have to go swimming with the rest of us. She doesn't have to go showering with the rest of us. This seems to really... Which if they only knew, if they only knew the flip side of that, that when she went to get her special treatment food, which might or might have not been ice cream that was promised... Yeah. She almost got fucking raped by a creepy pedo. And it all went bad. That all went bad. And her not showering. Imagine how fucking horrible that would be. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. So, yeah. These girls are just disgusting to me. Even from Meg's perspective, being a counselor, being an authority figure amongst these girls, and then having a girl through inaction disobeying her. Gandhi. Yeah, she became super frustrated. So even Meg, I can kind of think, well, okay, I get it. Judy, on the other hand, is just mean mugging from across the fucking room from day one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For nothing. Because I was like, well, like you have all of the boys' attentions. You, you, you're the hot girl. Everyone listens to you. Everyone follows suit. You're in league with, like, the counselors. So you have... The upper hand, I guess, even social. You have social currency. This is a girl minding her own business who has the attention of one boy that is not even on your radar. What's, I just, it's crazy to me. I've always found that aspect of how wicked women can be in this film isn't talked about enough. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm reading the wrong scholarly articles. I don't know. Part of why I would never want to go to something like a summer camp. Just to be stooped among that mixed group, different cliques clashing. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of what's happening. Yeah, people who, generally speaking, have no right being within proximity of each other. Yeah. But that's high school. That's work. That's that's life, right? We're always forced to be around people that we really have no business being around. Until you reach down and touch your inner Angela and just go mute. Yeah, there's that. (laughs) So this is skinny dipping. That, I mean, if she's not going to shower amongst people, I don't know why anyone thinks she wants to skinny dip. But Yeah, but the guys start berating her. Uh, Ricky comes to a rescue, as always, and a, a, a little brouhaha breaks out. Then Ricky's friend, Paul, 
comes and sits by her and starts talking to her. Doesn't really seem to have an agenda. He's just talking about all the pranks that him and Ricky have done over the years. And you can see for the first time, instead of this vacant, doe-eyed expression on Angela's face where she just kind of looks like she's waiting for him to stop talking so he'll eventually go away so she can sit there, she utters her first line in the movie, which is goodnight after he has to go. And then he's just the happiest kid in the world because she spoke to him. And he was being normal without, like you said, without an agenda. And he wasn't trying to get anything out of her or tell her what to do, which is awesome. He was just chatting normal. Yeah. Yeah. Brief about something that she could kind of relate to, like what Ricky does outside of the time she sees him. Mm -hmm. Kind of interesting somewhat. And maybe she thinks he's cute. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But then we have another death coming up. Yay! This movie doesn't shy away from any of the kills. They're pretty great. Uh, this time, one of those jerky boys flips a boat on a lady. Yeah, he finally got one to go out in the lake with him. I know. And and he seemed to have this weird fucking idea of what's funny because they're out in the boat together. And he's just like, oh, I'm going to tip the boat. And he tips the boat over. Yeah, because you almost think that he's not going to. Oh, but he definitely does. Yeah. And then she understandably gets pissed off because who in the middle of the night dressed wants to get flipped out of a boat and then, well, great. What are we swimming ashore now? Maybe he thought she was a little more adventurous and that 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 would get her motor going and... Would that get your motor going? No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. But then I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself in that position anyway. So whatever. But she swims away and he's like talking as if she's still there, which is weird because I guess he thinks that she, even though she's mad, that she's still going to reciprocate, mm-hmm. which is well, a he's... very strange attitude I've found in some horror films that it's like, I'll piss this girl off so bad that she wants to smack me mm-hmm. and she'll like that and stick around. Very strange. But uh, yeah, she's she's gone. She's on shore, and he's still. He's also stoned, right? And he's they make stoned, a little. Yeah. They make a little scene about how ridiculous you can be after you smoke some weed, mm-hmm. which is another hilarious <laughs> horror movie trope. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's so stoned that he thinks she's still there. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he's calling out to her when he's underneath the boat because the boat's flipped over and has created like a little dome. Anyway, all of a sudden you just see the back of someone's head. And he recognizes them. And then all of a sudden, they just grab them and put them underneath the water. And I love that he kind of gives like a little struggled wave. Yeah, you gave him the queen wave back. Goodbye. Nice you. See you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> I, think, I think he was, yeah, struggling. Not waving. He was struggling. But this was the crazy. I like the thing. camera in the boat, actually. I really like that. It's scene. a wonderful shot. Yeah. The craziest thing to me is anytime that I watch a movie where somebody is absolutely in need of treading water, but it doesn't even really look like they're doing anything other than standing in shoulder deep water. Because, look, I, I fully admit, I can swim, but I am not the strongest swimmer in the world. And when I'm treading water in place, I definitely look like I'm treading water. Like, I definitely look like I'm struggling to keep my body from sinking like a stone. Yeah. So... When he is just, well, then again, I guess he was kind of holding on. But the idea that someone could come up underneath the boat and then have the the strength to pull somebody under and no one really looks like they're struggling. You it, can push someone underwater pretty easily. 
I've never done it. You've never pushed someone under the water. I've never tried to murder somebody. Could you imagine? Oh. Huh. <laughs> okay. Anyway. But uh. I mean, I'm that's it's a nitpicky little thing, but I do love the scene quite a bit. And what I love even more mm-hmm. is the aftermath of the scene where they discover the young lad's body because it's fucking fantastic. The body looks great. A snake slides out of the mouth, which is a fucking awesome extra little bit. Yeah, a little like, I don't know what kind of snake it would be. I don't think it's like a, a puff adder or a typical water snake that I'm used to. But mm-hmm. yeah, it is a very cool scene. And it is more gruesome than the oh, boiled yeah. boy, the boiled boy, the boiled man, the boiled pedo gross ass that deserved to be boiled. Mm-hmm. Even though that effect was really great too. Yeah. Um, I love those extra little bubbly boils that are just coming to the surface. Oh yeah, just coming to the surface like and as he's wood. screaming and, and, the, and the tight shot on his face. Yeah. Now we have someone who's been... Obviously eaten up by fish. Yeah. It's yucky. And he'd been sitting in the water and now he's just washed up on shore and all fucked up and dirty and a snake slides out of his mouth. It looks fucking fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's gruesome, but it looked fantastic. Yeah. And I think that these shots really help pay the movie off, especially anyone that's interested in watching a, a, a good slasher movie. I was like, these kills, well, sometimes the kills will shy, they'll shy away from the actual death blows they don't shy away at all from showing the aftermath the damage to the bodies yeah that's true which is really cool and some of the deaths are are kind of inventive and the way that they're found aren't you know they're not posed bodies necessarily mm-hmm. the way that like jason Voorhees was would pose bodies arranging bodies yeah. yeah there's none of that going on they're found in their natural state but it is the camera lingers it's nice it's artful mm-hmm. and they're not sure again because this could just be an accident. An accident. Although something doesn't seem quite right because oh, that kid was a good swimmer. What could have happened? He would have bumped his head. But again, this is Mel like telling the cop what probably happened. And then when the cop doesn't even really seem that convinced, Mel just says, well, it's what the cop said. Probably an accident. No, I said an autopsy would be more conclusive. <laughs> uh, must be an accident. It must be an accident. Yeah. And fucking, like, uh, Slim Goodbody counselor is not convinced, though. No, because he's the one that points out that that kid... I remember him being a good swimmer. But, of course, Mal guilt trips everyone by saying, I have the unfortunate duty of informing that kid's parents that he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So You would think that it would... It, that itself would shut the camp down. Yeah. Yo, definitely. Accident or not. One, I mean, one death... One like, so you you have Artie the cook that got horribly maimed and is probably maimed for life, and then all right that was an employee that's a little dicey, but a kid yeah one of the kids that went to the counselor uh, to the camp died, like as if the camp was still open at that. There point. was a camp. Um... In my hometown where um, a child died, and it was one of the younger children that couldn't swim very well, Um, and I forget if it was a boy or a girl, but they drowned, and the camp was closed for three days Mm -hmm. immediately, Mm -hmm. you know. They called the cops, and the cops weren't there going like, oh, an autopsy will be more conclusive. The cops shut everything down, and, like, no one contested that. Yeah. But I suppose that this is the supposed to be the era of um it's almost like a family camp and they're struggling to make ends meet mm-hmm. like the camp in stage fright they don't want to get shut down 
mm-hmm. another camp slasher, if you will, yeah. where they are afraid that anyone will find out people are dying. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's exactly held over Mel's head other than he just doesn't want it to be shut down. Mm-hmm. They didn't really go into too much detail, unlike the uh, more recent stage fright where it was definitely... A big deal. Yeah, Meatloaf they... was struggling financially. Yeah, and they needed that. They wanted this to hit Broadway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were being scouted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which still doesn't sound like a reason to not shut down the camp, but whatever. It's true. But again, it goes to that mentality of everything's fine. It was an accident. Let's all just go back into the water. I mean, go back into the camp. Are you saying you want to watch Jaws? <laughs> Not necessarily. It's just and like, but that um, since one of my most primal horror memories is Jaws. Anytime that I am dealing with an authority figure that just kind of wants everything to be ignored and everything's fine, it's it always just goes back to the Mare and Jaws. Yeah, for yeah, me. yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah, everything's fine. Let me ask you this: When you see a bunch of young men on a roof throwing water at each other. What do you think they're up to? I don't think. I walk away. I just cross the street and keep walking. I don't want to get wet. I don't want to know anything. I don't care. I think they're up to no good. Because they throw a water balloon at Angela. Which I think we've established is made of, like, balsa wood at this point. So you can't throw shit at her. (laughs) (laughs) Nah. I do do admit that that scene was kind of funny. And, I mean, if that water balloon hit anybody, even if it shocked them, scared them, whatever, you got to admit that's kind of funny. Yeah, it's kind of like... When that kid gets hit in the face in the snowball in the Christmas story, it just comes out of nowhere and you're like, that's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like nothing, you know, it didn't hurt anybody. And it's almost like their way of trying to include her a little bit. They weren't really being that mean. Uh, If the girls would have been up on that roof throwing water balloons, though, they would have meant to be mean. They probably would have filled it with period blood or some shit like that. Oh. Well, that's the way they think, man. You have, like, this weird us-versus-them mentality to these women in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I do. And rightfully so. They thrust it on me. Um, but, yeah, it's I, I would have walked the other way, you know. But I guess she's used to being invisible, so she just kept walking it's true. past them. And now, I don't think it's that outlandish. I think it's kind of weird. It's weird that they're on the roof doing this. Now, at this point, it's kind of going around camp that... Uh, Angela and Paul have a kind of a, a cutesy budding romance. Yeah. They're maybe going steady for the summer as something that happens a lot during their annual camp visit. And no one can stand by and let that happen without making fun of it. Yeah, I know. Even the the, the guys are kind of like, "Ah, good for you." And they're they're kind of wrestling with each other. But and the the ladies kind of seem to be looking at it sideways and always uh, Judy always has some sort of snarky comment to make but i think that's the only thing she knows how to do is just make snarky comments but angela because of this i suppose the proximity to paul and the fact that ricky's there and defending her she is coming out of her shell more and now is actually you know speaking like delivering lines and and all that kind of stuff and acting a lot more typical yeah, she's Still, warming up to this camp experience, and, yeah. you know, it's she does, yeah, like you said, feels safer, because Ricky's there, and she's sort of had a friend in Paul, mm-hmm. and there seem to be one or two females that would speak up for her, if mm-hmm. anything really and, 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 and honestly, most of the, the campers are nice to her, and, and most of the counselors are nice to her. It's just like a small pocket, but at least, unlike the burning in this one, 
it's it's like when people are just like, oh, I'm such a misfit, but everyone's kind of actually not a misfit, and they're all kind of friends. In Sleepaway Camp, the people who are mean to Angela are fucking dicks. Yeah. And they, I'm not going to say they deserve to die because no one does, but in terms of the horror parlance, when things happen like this in a horror movie and people do mean things to Angela, well, they end up dead. Yeah, maybe that is part of what Angela's calm demeanor is or her steadily growing more calm and more comfortable demeanor is is it seems people pick on or get their comeuppance it's true yeah i've never liked the word comeuppance so let's just say they get dead (laughs) they do get dead they get dead i like the scene with the water balloon actually in the aftermath of the water balloon this is where ricky explodes with stifflerisms and just like (laughs) the stream of like vulgarity just spills out of him and it's glorious yeah no he, we've definitely seen him curse up a storm before but this is just a steady stream and my favorite is eat shit and die ricky <laughs> eat shit and live <laughs> <laughs> well that was at the baseball time yeah. which was good too because it, like he just says like oh i'll th- pitch it slower or whatever he's just like fuck off like they're just instantly (laughs) so agitated at each other it's fucking fantastic but then again they're pulling a prank on like the nerdy poindexter character that in the baseball game is playing it's not a tiger electronics those didn't exist back then but it was like a calculator it was a boxing game on his calculator because it even said that it was a calculator yeah so but i mean so they do the old like shaving cream in the hand, tickle your nose prank. Buddy pulls a knife. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking kill you. Yeah, he pulls out a knife. I think and, it's funny. And then with like, he's got whipped cream on his face, and he's like chasing the kid around, and all the guys are just like laughing, and even he's like not taking it too seriously about a dude pulling a knife on him. And then the counselor comes in, and he's like, "What's wrong with you people?" <laughs> and and they're both just like, "Ah, he's just kidding around, kidding around." Kidding around? He pulled a knife on him. It was a big one. Yeah, and I think if he would have caught him, he would have definitely stuck it in his gut. I really think so. <laughs> I'm oh. smiling. Oh my god! I like that he was asleep with like with like a porno mag on his chest too. Oh, I didn't even notice. That's, that's kind of fucked up. Maybe that's why. That's what camp is supposed to be like. Oh my god! I'm so glad I never went anywhere near these places like that. The day camp I was at, people did not fucking behave like that whatsoever. Like, it was, no, nothing, nothing like that. I'll tell you, Water Balloon Boy, he got it pretty bad. Yeah, more, the aftermath, the setup to that didn't seem as heinous as the other ones or as dangerous. It did remind me of all the times that I've been, like, taking a crap in real life and, like, one of my buddies comes and, like, flying kicks the bathroom stall and the whole place fucking shakes. Which is kind of fucked up to me because I, no, I don't, no, no. If anyone did that, they would have hell to pay. I probably would grab a knife and stick it in their gut because you don't fuck, you know, don't even talk to people when they're in the bathroom. I Like, it's happened to me so many times in my life where I'm, like, at school taking a dump or I'm at work taking a dump. I like to take a dump in public places a lot. <laughs> and and someone will kick the fucking door. And it's always a buddy of mine who's like, oh, I scare you. I'm like, you're fucking dead. Oh, that wouldn't be my reaction at all. <laughs> I would be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Do not like talk to, touch, or interact with, or try to scare someone in the bathroom. What the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck? People are weird. I think that's fucking weird, and that's like like deeply fucking. Oh my god, that's warped. Weirder than taking a, a beehive on a stick and just shaking it into the toilet. No, I can get behind that. Oh god. Now let me tell you something. If I was being stung to death by a bunch of bees, it would take more than a broom handle 
and a flimsy door to like keep me in there. But that keeps him in there locked down. He gets stung so bad. Uh, doesn't even have time to put his pants up. I figured it'd be one fucking kick and I'd be out that door. Even if one of your buddies walked by while I was going to the washroom and kicked the door to think they'd scare me, I would kick the fucking door open that fast. <laughs> but yeah, this poor guy is just suddenly weakened. And let me tell you, when you're getting stung, I was stung by probably 15 or 20 uh, little yellow jacket wasps. Mm-hmm. Uh, once and you basically do get superhuman strength and you can run for miles. <laughs> yeah. like it's true because it's super fucking painful and your adrenaline just mm-hmm. goes berserk. So he definitely would have been able to kick his way out of that door. Yeah, but a not lot this time. Faster. He became like fucking like Nick Cage. He's like not the bees. And so, but again, a beautiful fucking shot of his dead arm and the camera pans up and he's just covered in bees and the parts of the flesh that you can see are just it's just pocked with so many stings and stuff like that yeah huge so, gross stings oh yeah so it looks great and and the death is really crazy and at this point you have to face facts that people are, are getting murdered at this camp well I don't know what if the hornet nest just fell in there what if someone hadn't cleaned the camp properly no, you're and right it could have been an accident it could have been an accident you know an autopsy would be more conclusive bees cause of death <laughs> a fuckload of bees yeah that's what's on the corner's fucking sheet bees three exclamation marks <laughs> underlined and a little cartoon drawing of a bee with a frowny face and a little arrow from the bee's word to the bee you drew <laughs> a frowny face yeah <laughs> it could be an accident i suppose but it's also mel is wise Get, to something is and getting he's suspicious very he, suspicious he notices he's noticed a pattern he has noticed that every time that somebody picks on angela Ricky comes to the rescue. And then the next day, those people who are responsible, they're dead. He's also noticed a look of hate in Ricky's eyes, which uh, I don't I don't believe. I'm not behind Mel on that one. Ricky doesn't have a look of hate in his eyes. His eyes are way too blue. I know you don't think that I have a very good judge when it comes to looks in people's eyes. Well, you're but not. Do you see a look of hate in Ricky's eyes? Now, to me, Ricky always seemed like a really stand-up kid. And the way that he yeah. was behaving was the way that I would want any sibling or family member to behave if they saw someone yeah someone getting picked on that's that's the exact because because that's what you have to do right i mean these kids don't vaguely listen to authority some of the kids are in league with their authority figures and they're both responsible for the stuff going on but even when the kids are getting admonished they're just kind of like sitting there cross-armed rolling their eyes you know getting read the riot act but it doesn't really seem like they buy it even themselves so ricky understands that the only thing that you can do is throw punches scream at them scream obscenities and threaten to beat them within an inch of their life and i mean he's a tough kid he's a tough rough and tumble kid like that is just how his brain works and so i definitely wouldn't think that a kid like that is dangerous because when everyone's being nice to his cousin like when paul is being nice to his cousin he's totally fine he's yeah. chill he's and he cool. can even roughhouse with other kids without going fucking berserk yeah but yeah he's only when he's backed into a corner on account of his cousin that's the only time and it's not necessarily a look of hate he's protecting her mm-hmm. like a normal person should 
Mm-hmm. Very weird, Mel. Very weird. Very weird. But but I mean, it is. It's the only answer, as far as Mel. He's trying to put two and two together. Why does everyone keep dying? These accidents don't seem like accidents to me. They're very weird, preventable accidents. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, the only thing, the only common denominator is that Ricky would have had a beef with these people. Mm-hmm. So I kind of figured that the water balloon stuff on the roof was just something that they did. It was a camp activity. But I guess they have a lot of room to do whatever they want to do at this camp. It's not all... like They have an archery range. They don't have an archery class, I don't think, that we see. They have all these this boat equipment, but they don't have like a boating time. Uh, I almost thought that water balloon time on the roof was like a camp activity, but I guess they really just sort of like do whatever they want to do really unstructured mm-hmm. the only like structured game thing that i recall is this capture the flag you know, the capture the flag moment yeah yeah it's like the only thing that the counselors really try to do with them or am i wrong well i they do other activities there seems to i mean there's so many kids there they do their socials where they let the kids hang out in, oh yeah in a they mess like hall. a dance or whatever and they have other things going on they take the kids out into the woods sleeping, much to their detriment. But there there are activities that are going on. There's swim time. There's definitely people who are watching them at all times. They definitely establish that counselors have troops of kids that they're specifically responsible for, which I guess is typical. And other than that, I, I think, like, honestly, if you look at the Friday the 13th franchise, a lot of those movies, it's not even really functioning camps. Yeah, because they don't really, like, do... Well, stuff. because, uh, for, for, look, for the first two, the camps isn't even in an operation yet. Yeah. It's a campground, but it's just the counselors. You've removed children entirely from the equation. And other sequels, it's not even, they're not, it's not even a camp. It's just, oh, we're going to a lake for a party, or it's our graduation cruise and we're going to Manhattan, or whatever. I don't even think it's six might be the only one that actually is a camp while it's open. Mm-hmm. If memory serves me, and I think it does, the burning got close because the burning is a functioning camp. But then by the time a lot of the killings happen, you know, all the kids, all the older, like the 45 year old kids get, <laughs> get, go on a canoe trip and they leave the campground. Yeah. This is a functioning camp full of kids. Some kids look like eight or nine. Yeah. And... Or younger. Or younger. Yeah. And, it, and they're doing the activities, and the killings are taking place on the campground. So I think that, like, in terms of, like, camp slashers, this is the campiest camp slasher. Not campy as in a corny way, but, like, it's the, the, most, the, the, camp. the most camp camp slasher yeah. that you could watch, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's got, like, the striped knee-high socks and the itty-bitty shorts and the tight, tight camp t-shirts. So it looks really authentic. Even if they've cut those camp t-shirts up to be midriff bearing That's so crazy to me. Why do so many of the dudes modify their shirts to be belly shirts? It's like, look, I'm only covering my nips. You can't, you cannot make me cover this torso, this delicious torso. I'm as much as I agree with you. I'm somewhat fine with it because the casting for that was impeccable. All those guys look exactly the fucking same. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell them apart. Usually, it's you know some of them. They and they mix up the crop tops too. So like, I can't even be like that's the crop top guy. Um, Could you? I just cannot fucking imagine something more horrible than being given a T-shirt, just looking it up and down and being like, you know what? 
this will not do. I'm going to cut the fucking torso out of it. Yeah, it's way too long. This, it needs to be cut in half. It's like, how short are you going to make that t-shirt? Just under the nips. Which is just really weird. Why not just not wear a shirt? Just don't wear a shirt. And one of those guys, he had cut off jeans too. So he has like a, he's, he's got like a history of mutilating his clothes. <laughs> cut he, all his clothes in half. Yeah, where he's just like, jeans? I think you mean jean shorts. Oh, t-shirt? I think you mean chest strip. <laughs> yeah, very, very weird style. Although, unlike most 80s films, their hair isn't that laughable. There's some mulletry going on, but it's some, not too yes. bad with the fashion otherwise, other than the belly tops, mm-hmm. the rampant use of belly tops. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> now, Judy's not done with her nefarious scheming just yet. And in this Capture the Flag game, which seems like a good time for everybody. Ricky is the only one that actually seems to be playing Capture the Flag with the most Navy SEAL black ops adeptness that you need for a good game of Capture the Flag. He's going to deep strike the enemy, you see, Lydia, and he's going to take their flag by cutting across the woods. But he needs his cousin Angela to help him out with that. Now, Paul earlier has been getting pretty close with Angela. They've been smooching a bit. They have a nice little escapade on the beach where they're running around. And this is the first time where Angela seems very playful. And like she trips him and is running around and they're having a good time. But he wants to take things further. And she instantly freezes up and is brought to a, a flashback. Yeah, and at first when we were talking about the ages of the kids here, I thought that that was almost a cut to a scene of two of the males uh, laying in bed together um, in an embrace and making mm-hmm. out somewhat, and that it was two camp kids. But then I, I had to like be like, oh, no, yeah, this is a flashback of mm-hmm. Angela and Peter mm-hmm. when they were both alive watching their father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who had a who had a male lover. Yeah. And they used to sit there and stare at him and when they were in bed together. And giggle. And giggle, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I suppose. I wish it was cleared up more if this was um, some sort of like clandestine affair or if they had two dads. It's not really clear, although that uh, the other gentleman was there in the opening sequence. He was... The guy on the beach? Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense now. So yeah, yeah. they had so, two dads. Simple as that. Yeah, simple as that. Now, do you think that that would have been super shocking for 1983? Or do you... Like, do you think that people... What would you think that people would think about that? Because when I saw it, I was like, oh, I, their dad was gay. Like, it doesn't... It doesn't register with me. Like, it's not... It's not weird. It's, it's, it's not weird it's, and it's not like... It's not what I would consider important information. I'm like, oh, your dad was gay. Mm-hmm. So what is that trying to say? Like, I, I mean, later in the movie, and we'll get to, obviously, the, the big ending, but at this point in the movie, it would seem odd if you weren't aware of certain aspects. I know. It would only be weird or interesting if um, Angela's dad's lover was Ricky's mom's ex. Oh, dun, dun, dun. that would be a twist. I would love that, but who knows? <laughs> you know what? It's, they never said it wasn't. So. They never said it wasn't, and so that's what I want to believe, right? Well, it's a twist. Yeah. Um, that's why she's so fucking crazy. Mm, that explains a lot about Angela's aunt right there, doesn't it? That, she, that her husband left her for another man? Yeah, maybe. And, and she wants to go back to a very traditional... Friend of the man, what? Her brother, basically? Isn't that how that would work out? Yeah, maybe. That is weird. Yeah. Stranger things have happened, though. 
Yeah. But no, I don't think it's really weird. And I, I don't know. Um, my mother had gay friends in the 80s that there was nothing like strange. I knew people that had two mothers and things like that mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know. They were starting to publish those books that they wanted in public schools that dealt with families that weren't the typical male, female, like gender binary nuclear families. Gotcha. And I honestly didn't know a lot of pure nuclear families where there was a mom, a dad, and two kids. There was all sorts of different combinations of mm-hmm. family, what we'd like to call family. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was that weird, but it might have been weirder to the generation who was making this film. Oh, I see. Yeah, I could see that, actually. Yeah, so us as kids watching it, like, were these movies really made for 12 and 13-year-olds? Or even, like, younger there was even younger people watching this film. That I don't think this film was made for. I think this film was made for the, what, 17 to 30 kind of age group. It was. It did come out in the height of the slasher boom, the heyday. Yeah. A horror fans uh, like to refer to it as. And uh, it definitely would have been... Look, the movie did very well, even considering its limited release. Like, it more than made its budget back. Yeah. And it was, and it, it was uh and it was well received by critics. So yeah, I mean it definitely would have been maybe garnered a little bit older. I don't know. I'm trying to remember how old I was when I saw this movie for the first time. Maybe 13. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 13. It was about the same age I was when I watched it the first time too. And now did you watch it alone or did you watch it with people? With people. Me and my friend Sabrina and Terry, we all watched it. Um we'd watched a lot of like horror movies at that time and this mm-hmm. was just one of those ones that we rented numerous times after the first time we saw it we re-rented it many times uh we love the cover art like literally love the cover Uh, art it's one of my favorite bits of poster art for any horror movie ever i love and it's so simple it's the knife and the shoe with the letter to camp or the letter to the parents from a, a camper and i just for some reason it really looks fantastic to me i am just like i love the iconography yeah yeah it's, it's, it says a lot about the film just in that that picture. Mm-hmm. And it's so memorable. It's one of those covers that you would have walked by a million times and wanted to rent, right? Oh, for sure. That's yeah. definitely one of those covers that grabs you. Yeah, definitely. Um, we had been recommended it also word of mouth from our my friend Sabrina's brother, who actually looks like Ricky in the film and <laughs> acts a lot like him, which is kind of hilarious. Mm. But he's like, oh, yeah, if you guys are going to rent a movie, you definitely rent that one. Um, it's messed up. The end is messed up. And we're like, okay. And so we watched it. And when we watched it, we definitely rewound the last like five minutes and rewatched that on a loop a couple times just to really cement it in our heads. Because mm-hmm. we were like 13 year old girls. So that was a, a shocking end, right? But we were never taken aback by scenes like this flashback while Angela and Paul are kind of getting cozy on the beach and he tries to touch her chest which elicits this flashback. Mm. Um, we never found anything like that really strange, right? For me, horror was a very solitary experience. I didn't really ever watch horror with people. My introduction to Sleepaway Camp came from a friend of mine who I went to school with, and he was like, you have to see... You like horror, right? You have to see this movie... It's so fucked up. Hmm. So he 
let me borrow the tape. Do you think he meant the last five minutes are kind of fucked up? Of course. Okay. Because that would have sticked out in any kid's mind, right? Yeah. And we'll get to it. But so I brought it home. And and I remember what I remember distinctly about this. As a horror fan, like I saw a lot of horror movies on TV. And so this was the first time, not the first time, but this was one of those times where I was watching on a tape and it had a level of violence that I really liked, and it was a camp slasher, which I really liked because as a little kid, I liked Friday the 13th. But I really got this sense where I was, oh, this is like a real horror movie, like, <laughs> like what you read about. Yeah. Like where you feel, because for me, a lot of the time was horror's appeal. I liked monsters, and I liked the special effects and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So if, 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 it was, if it was something more monstrous, I usually... It appealed to me more, but when it got into me saying, like, oh, maybe I'm a horror fan. I'm like, I'm going to start watching this kind of stuff and and wanting to really expand my palette into different types of horror. I would want to watch movies like this because I would feel more like a horror fan because I watched it. And, 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 and it came to me in such a good organic way, a kid giving you a VHS tape and yeah. then you watching it. Not really telling your parents that you're watching it. Not really, like, they don't know, and maybe they wouldn't even want you to yeah, watch it. Yeah, you're not it. necessarily sneaking around, but you're not broadcasting. Yeah. No, Because no, this is something you want to test on your own. Exactly. Yeah. And so you're watching it by yourself, and so much of my horror watching experience was by myself. And so I'm always really envious when you tell me stories about watching these movies with friends, because it wasn't until, uh, and this is a big tangent, and we'll get back to the movie in a second, but, like, it wasn't until... I watched Full Cheese Zombie 2 with people, a, a bunch of my friends from high school. We rented a bunch of horror movies, and that was one of them. And I had never had more fun watching a movie with a group of people. We had, we had watched, like, raunchy comedies and stuff like yeah. that. Like, I was like, you know, the American Pie movies when I was in high school, those were big. So there was a lot of that, but this movie, like, like that Zombie 2... I was just like everyone was so into it and the eye gouging scene and everyone reacts and blah 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 and then it was that moment that I would think back to movies like Sleepaway Camp and just like I wish I wish I was with people when I saw this for the first time because to me a lot of the reactions are muted because I don't I wasn't with a crowd when I saw it. I know, typically, and I have, like, um, when people will walk into the room when I'm watching a movie, and they'll usually give that that uncomfortable laughter, and I just want them to leave. Mm-hmm. I'd rather watch movies alone, by and large, because I don't want to see other people's reactions, because normally it's annoying to me. That's why you and I are so different. Like, maybe because I had that experience where I was constantly by myself. Yeah. And, and so, like, and I always want to seek out other people. But even though, like, I can get kind of weird sometimes because I'll clam up in social situations. Like, like I have anxiety just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like, I would have loved to have been with people who had never seen Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. And, and We had fun, but we were a different ilk. We weren't, like, um, we weren't reacting out loud. We were simply all watching the film and maybe have a little conversation during it about something that was uh, particularly, particularly gory, confusing, or, mm-hmm. you know angry making um for three little girls we weren't a typical three little girls we were three future hardcore horror fans so it was a lot like you and i watch a movie 
you know, mm-hmm. and you're not you're not doing uh, reacting to films in ways that I find annoying, <laughs> obviously. Um, but I, yeah, it must I, be that that I, you enjoyed the first group experience that you had. The first time I watched horror movies in a group, I felt that they were making fun of the genre. Oh uh, well, there, I, I suppose there's an aspect of that too. But I feel like as long as they're watching it, I don't care how they react to it. Um, I be- care deeply. Uh, well. But, no, when you're watching a movie with me, listeners, if you're wanting to know what that's like, it's like fucking pop-up video. Because I always have, like, some stupid fact to say about hiring processes or where this was shot. I'm annoying. Lydia is, like, nice. (laughs) No, it's not that annoying, though, because you're not making fun of the people on screen. You're not um, comparing it to other horror movies and saying which one is better and which one is worse. No, um, I, I can't. No, I would never do that. Yeah, people who talk like that during horror movies can go to hell. <laughs> um, Angela like leaves, and and this goes back to what we were talking about with the capture of the flag because Paul is one of those. <laughs> he reacts poorly, and and is like, oh, she's such a prude. And then Judy gets her hooks in him, and they kiss, and they uh, make out. They aren't just pecking because he just pecked Angela nicely. He's like macking Judy in the bushes. Well, they. they um, I feel like the kissing on the beach with Angela was a, was more. She was like m- more into it, and but then again, when he starts like necking her, she seizes up and get get the hell away from me. Yeah. Um. And of course, he's angry, and he. Uh, kisses judy and angela sees it and she and judy is obviously only doing this just to get at angela like she doesn't like this guy at all no yeah and she makes it pretty clear oh yeah for sure and so that sort of ends that and angela retreats into herself a little bit knowing that she can ultimately rely on ricky but this paul guy bit of a false messiah yeah so we're on to like the next like heinous prank heinous prank she has spent the whole movie outside of the water uh, to our knowledge, and then she gets tossed in by Meg. Meg, the meaner, like a counselor. Yeah. That's crazy. To she's me. so cute, though. Well, yeah, she's cute, but that doesn't. It's so hard for me to hate her. <laughs> it is really hard. You don't understand how hard it is for me to hate her. She is so cute, but mean and horrible. She's a horrible person, Meg. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We give a lot of passes in life to people who are really mean but cute. Yeah. God, she's cute. <laughs> but there isn't a huge age gap between her and the counselors. Like, gotta not, there has to not be a huge age gap. Nah. So she's still basically a kid herself, which is just yeah. weird to me. We would say, I would assume that she's under 20. Yeah. So 18 or like 17, 18. She's got to be. Yeah. Just young enough to do something this cruel and stupid. Yeah. Because... Yeah, being in cahoots with like Judy is yeah. weird to me. And they're both picking on... Angela, for really, really no reason. No reason whatsoever. So they toss her into the, into the water, and she freaks out. Now, while this is going on, Mel is confronting Ricky, his arch nemesis. Which is <laughs> hilarious the way you put that, but yeah. <laughs> He's holding him by the arms and, and accusing him of killing yeah because ricky sees what's going on and he goes to run to angela's defense and you won't let him go and he won't let him go he's like well what are you gonna do now 
What's yeah. gonna happen now? You can't run to yeah. her. Isn't that fucked up though? Like Mel, the adult, and the and the, the I was gonna call him the ruler of the camp, but that's a little grandiose. He's in charge of the camp though, and he sees that Meg is going to toss Angela into the lake, and he's like, "Oh, what are you gonna do now? Huh? Are you gonna go to the rescue?" I'm like, "Maybe you should go to a rescue." Well, in Mel's defense, that's obviously what kids do to one another because they've been throwing each other in fucking lakes and. Like, they're up on roofs throwing water balloons at one another. Mm-hmm. I guess that after years of being the ruler of the camp, <laughs> he's seen enough people Lord be thrown Heimier into of camp. I mean, I, I pushed one of my uncles into a lake. I've been thrown in a lake. Like, people throw one another in lakes, and it's not all that bad. <laughs> Especially if, you know, he probably knows the lake bottom, and there's not, like, broken glass and huge rocks, barracudas, or jaws in that water. <laughs> so he feels... Cache of syringes. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that syringe pit and saw too. Oh, um, right. Yeah. Ugh. So they're not throwing her into the syringe pit. They're <laughs> throwing her into the lake where hundreds of people have been thrown before and she'll survive. So it is sort of like, it is a really interesting test on Mel's part that really, I think, absolves Mel of any wrongdoing. So what if he's holding Ricky back? Mm-hmm. It's He needs to test this theory somehow. I suppose. Yeah. So not only, not only... Does Angela get tossed in and Ricky pulls her out along with uh, the camp? Because uh, Ricky gets to her because uh, Slim Goodbody fucking uh, <laughs> wrestles Mel away from him. Can't remember his name, but he's just so fucking in shape that I'm just gonna call him Slim Goodbody. Yeah, it's a reference to a, a TV show from the '80s, kids. Now I have no idea what show he's talking about. <laughs> he's sort of built like Johnny Bravo. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Like, Do you want TV show references? TV shows. B- big, juicy arms, delicious chest, itty-bitty shorts. I thought you were going to say itty-bitty waist. But yeah, sure. Okay, the guy is built. Like, if he probably lost about another 5% body fat, we could see all the striations. But anyway, so he does help. He's one of the few counselors that doesn't like people picking on one another. There's mm-hmm. only really two people in this whole camp that don't like people picking mm-hmm. on another. Everyone else seems to get off on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Like, they're empowered by it. Yeah. It's it's like, I've added five years of my life because you're sad now. It's disturbing. It's like the quickening. But or even just drinking. watching other people pick on one another. It's great. I know. Yeah, they just sit back and stroke themselves. It's sickening. Yeah. Fucking bullies. Gross. I hate them. Uh, but yeah. So he, I don't know if this ruins Mel's theory because he still got to save her. He did get to save her. Then uh, when they're getting out of the water, a bunch of kids are like throwing sand at them. Jerky little kids. Yeah, more people are just picking on one another and getting yeah. off on it. I know. They're like, haha, I'm throwing sand at you. Yeah, now your nice clean feet are all full of gritty sand. <laughs> yeah. And the whole time after this incident, like Paul is trying to apologize to Angela. He realizes he fucked up. And he feels really bad about what he did, uh, and he wants to get back with her and wants to give him another chance. So it's time for the big social, which Paul's goes to, but Angela decides, like, like says to meet him later. So you seem like, oh, maybe. And he seems pretty happy about that. Yeah, and he did apologize pretty clearly to her. So maybe she is like, being genuine and just, you know, wants some quiet time so they can talk and maybe make out some more. I don't know. You never know. What plan is. Now, I will tell you one of these things that threw me for a loop is Meg is going to go on a date with Mel. Yeah, I don't get either because it's not like Mel's just older and the camp ruler. He's like 80. (laughs) 
he's very old she's very young and apparently he had asked her to dinner at some point and i almost thought that it was when you watch it the scene it almost would be presented as if oh meg's trying to distract him so they can do something maybe horrible to angela like it's a it's a it's a grift right Mm -hmm. but it's not she no. she's like, remember that time you asked me to dinner? He's like, yeah. He's like, well, I'm interested now. He's like, oh. And then she j- cheerfully skips back to the woman's bunk and declares that she has a date and it's with a secret person. Yeah. And then she's gonna go and shower. And she seems genuinely happy about this. Like yeah. it's she's it's almost as if this might have happened before last year. Maybe they had a little fling or had some words that made her interested. She seems genuinely interested in Mel. Yeah. Who could be her father? Who could be her grandfather? Yeah. And it, with this big giant cigar in his mouth? Fuck, man. Yeah. But anyways. Not attractive. No, but she goes to take a shower because there's a big lineup. She Meg is so cute, though. Yeah, she's very cute. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're like, <laughs> damn you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're so cute. Why are you so mean? That's exactly it. <laughs> and not only are you mean, you're, you're dating this grandpa. That's uh, whatever. Okay. I, I can't quite give up on her because she's that cute. She's very cute. But I can tell you what's not cute. Her getting stabbed through a shower down her spine and then it's like cut through the wall. The same knife, by the way. This very dangerous knife has, is in use now. And it belonged to like Poindexter. Yeah, some an, good buddy took it. Yeah. And stuck it under a pillow. Yeah, and he was like, he and he's like, now you guys don't get this knife because you're playing with it like it's a toy. This knife could fucking cut through steel. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's a neat redirect though because the last time we saw this knife was in the boys' cabin. Mm-hmm. No one really should know but the boys where this knife is. It's true. Right? But almost if Mel were privy... If Mel were sitting on the couch with us watching this, mm-hmm. um, he would have been misdirected entirely For sure. by this. Well, that, that is the red herrings, right? You're yeah, just, he would have been like, see, I told you so. Yeah, it's like, we're, they definitely are misdirecting. They're trying to leave the surprise as long as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Now, Mel dies, not Mel, sorry, Meg dies, and then it's off to Mel because now he's looking for her. But there's like there's a lot of deaths stacked at the end. It's not really helpful either because she does go off alone, and it's not really that suspicious that no. she's just going to have a shower. Although I guess no one hears her because she does make quite a bit of noise. I like her death scene a lot. It's a good death scene. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's bloodier during the death scene than it is in the reveal later, mm-hmm. but um, she does it really, really well, and it looks really, really painful and horrible. But you would think that someone would either like have heard that go on, see the lights in an abandoned cabin, or would go looking for her. Because when Judy, who skips out on the social, which I, that's the one cool thing Judy does, mm-hmm. where she's like, I don't want to go to the stupid fucking social. Keep yeah. the lights off, Angela, so that no one will make us go to the stupid social. Yeah. Awesome. There's some one point for Judy. But when Mel asks her, like, have you seen Meg anywhere? She's like, yeah, she went to have a shower. Well, when? She's like, I don't really know. Sometime after dinner? It's like, mm-hmm. well, you don't look at clocks? Like, you have no sense of time? Was it dark out? Was it light out? Like, <laughs> you're no help at all. Mm-hmm. She was also trying to get rid of him a little bit because she had a boy under her bed. Eh, I forgot about that. He's a forgettable boy. Mm, aren't they all? In this movie. Oh. 
They all look the same. That's what I meant. He had a crop top on, right? No, he had the he had a, he had. Was a, he the blue, blue oyster cult shirt boy? He had the yellow tight tight T shirt on. Oh, I can't. Oh, okay. He wasn't Adidas shirt boy, or Converse shirt boy. No, he wasn't Converse shirt boy. No. Yeah, wasn't that Ricky? I think Ricky did have the Converse shirt. There's a lot of shirts going on in this. In this. Yeah. Yeah. Blue oyster cult shirt boy kind of sticks out a little tiny bit. He had the middling mullet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, they're all, you can't tell them apart. Totally forgettable. So there's a boy under a bed. Mm hmm. But in the, and what I would think is the most heinous thing in the movie, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm way off base. Oh, I will. Well, a troop of young lads go out to the woods to sleep. Now, these are the same kids. It's not entirely clear, but it is the same group of kids that was tossing sand at Yeah, and they're Angela. little tiny munchkin kids. They're very young. Like, we're talking, like, six, seven, maybe, yeah. I bet. If, like, you know what I mean? They are hacked to pieces by a hatchet. I want to make a bury the hatchet joke, but I don't really feel it's appropriate. Now, this is an interesting to me because horror movies especially in the slasher boom yes a lot of the times it's teenagers getting killed but the teenagers are often portrayed by people who are much older the only other movie that i can really think of where it's very young kids getting killed is like grizzly where like that little that little boy gets mauled by the bear and his leg gets bit off mm -hmm. there's that that movie was rated pg-13 think about that um but in sleepaway camp, it's like four or five kids that their bodies are discovered by the camp counselor who brought two kids away because they were cold. And his reaction, very believable, pukes instantly mm -hmm. at the sight of it. Pukes that puke that makes me believe that these people live only on milkshakes. <laughs> yeah. There's no actual like food in his puke. It was like definitely white foam. But of all the shocked reactions to death in this movie, yeah, it's definitely the most believable because sometimes people are just kind of like, oh, you know, like that kind of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listeners! If only you could see, he looks kind of like a zombie, <laughs> or like he's you know has marionettes attached to his fingers. But that's... <laughs> That is a lot of, like, the, the movie reactions to death kind of, like, freaked me out that way because no one really reacts properly, especially not in a grisly death, especially not with a bunch of campers hacked to bits in their sleeping bags. You would puke. That's you, what I was saying. Even the smell, the look, like, the your, yeah, your reaction is probably going to be that you're going to puke. Or right. you're just going to turn and run blindly without thinking in whatever direction that isn't toward that. Mm. Yeah. Like, one of the two reactions are a little more plausible. Mm. Um but, so you're saying that it's terrible that these were young children? I think it's terrible. It's terrible that they're young children, but also horror in the slasher boom typically av avoided killing actual children. Yeah. So. Well, we're looking at this, this like, this curve from Frankenstein throwing her in the lake or not throwing her in the lake, depending, depending because on which, on which... we, we didn't know where we didn't see for many years that the little girl was actually killed in that way. Yeah, Tussin Lake, yeah. Yeah. And then we go to the opening of the first episode of 
The Walking Dead, where we get treated to... A little girl shot in the face. Right in the face. Mm-hmm. So we have this like huge curve in horror of killing children. Um, I don't find that this was terrible. The thing that I don't like about this is that those kids didn't really do anything. And anyone else that gets killed in this movie did something. The only thing these kids really did were be in the wrong place at the wrong time, or if you want to be asshole, throw sand on Ricky and Angela's feet. I think that um, it portrays the killer as far more ruthless. Um, It is an odd beat to me, but I think... I find it very effective because you're like, holy shit, like this movie has fucking balls. Yeah. Because I guess my point was, I was like, people can say all the things about like Freddy and Jason and and Chucky and Michael Myers and all these very iconic slasher characters. But for the most part, little kids were not on the table, right? But Sleepaway Camp is just like, no, no, no. I know when you're dealing, like we said, the killer is far more ruthless than we would have imagined, and they're not just lashing out uh, toward people who are bullying a particular person. They are just a killer through and through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little kids can't be off the table. No, I understand that. Yeah. I'm just saying that it, it's, and I guess we'll get into it later uh, about how people perceive this film, but. The body counts are ramping up. Next up is uh, is Judy, I think. Now, let me ask you this. Judy's death is really interesting to me because the, the killer enters into the, the cabin. She, again, recognizes her. Everyone recognizes. And, and then they say, but then she's punched in the mouth and is dazed, like finisher type Mortal Kombat <laughs> style. And she takes this uh, is a straightening iron, right? It is a curling a iron. Curling iron. Sorry. I don't think they had actually invented straightening irons until okay. the late eighties. Um, you had to actually use a clothes iron to straight iron your hair. Oh, back then. That or take a uh, crimping iron and take the crimping mechanisms off, so you were left with a flat iron. And I think that was the genesis of the flat iron as we know it today. One time when I was a kid, uh, my sister and her girlfriends were crimping their hair in her room. And then I was like the little brother. And they're like, Wes, you want us to crimp your hair? And I was like, yeah, okay. And they clamped the crimping iron down on my ear. <gasps> so you kind of know what Judy went through. Maybe. But this is what I want to ask you. What do you think she did to her? Did Did she stab her with it? Did she... Like, burn her throat with it? Like, what do you... Put it in her mouth? Like, upper butt? Like, what do you think she did with it? I think that only because of the phallic nature of a curling iron, everyone will assume that it went into her vagina. Really? And the thing that confuses me a little bit is that I don't know if they were going for, like, a shocker thing or if there was some clitoral... Not stimulation, but... uh, um, mangling going on there because the killer opens the curling iron. That's it, very specific. In the shadow, this is all done in a shadow, a silhouette. Yeah. Um, with Judy's arm sort of like, like cro- like twitching in the air. Yeah. Uh, and with a pillow over her mouth, so you can't really hear a scream. Yeah. So her actual death would have been by suffocation. So. 
that leaves it very, very open as to what they did with the curling iron. But it just, everyone's mind really jumps to um, vaginal trauma. That's so, like, because I thought, maybe I'm, like, too innocent for for this world, but I thought that she opened it and, like, clamped it down on, like, her throat or something like that. But then when we were watching it today, I was like, well, she's got the pillow over her head. And sort of the angle and the positioning of the killer's body and yeah. where the curling iron comes from and the angle, yeah. the trajectory, I don't know. We'll I get know. some, like, pause it and we'll get some strings and we'll, like, get some dummies. Back into the left, back into the left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure we could CSI our way into explaining whether this went in her vagina or not. I guess it is very strange. But then uh, Mel snooping around, he he finally discovers Meg's body, which is like the weirdest body reveal. It is the most Friday the Thirteenth body reveal, honestly, because it's like okay, so she was dead. But what was she standing up in the shower and like, yeah, like just kind of fell out of it, which is very. Well, she should have been found slumped against the wall. Yeah. Like in, yeah. in the shower. No, no doubt. But she apparently was standing up and I was like, maybe she was kind of alive. And in her last ounce of strength, she fell through the curtain and landed face down. And now Mel is enraged because he really liked Meg, obviously. Yeah. They were going to go on a date and they have were, dinner. They were going to go on a date, and now he's like, oh, no, this cute young girl is now dead as opposed to going on a date with me. That is not what I want to have happen. So he goes on the hunt for Ricky. This scene is really interesting to me because in the original cut, I think anybody who's really familiar with this franchise or big horror fan who likes horror trivia will know that Ricky originally was supposed to be killed in this scene and you can see the way like you could see how the the scene would obviously have been leading to a death because, yeah that's really only about four seconds it redeems it yeah if you would have cut and i'd love to just cut out those few seconds that, that prove to you he's still alive mm-hmm. yeah you can really tell where that cut would have been yeah absolutely because mel just two-hand fist like fucking slam he's like like an angry like ape or something just like fucking slamming his fist down on this kid and they don't show you actually making contact but like he's a grown man and like you were saying he's not a big man but he's still a grown man and and this is like a 13 year old kid that he's pummeling yeah and he's pummeling him he's just in blinded by rage because he's like not mag not mag like Mm. oh my god And with more force than you would use to tenderize meat. Oh, my God. So he's definitely beating this kid to a pulp. Yeah, absolutely. But this whole time when he, uh, sorry, when he uh, makes his escape, we get an archery scene. Very Friday the 13th. Yes, I love it. Even though they didn't have an archery class. No, but the archery was there. So you could assume, like, yeah, it's, it's a camp. Yeah. It was a functioning camp. Here's a little archery range. So, yeah, kids have archery. And then Mel realizes... Because, like, Matt, once he, once he beats Ricky to death, he's like, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> I gotta go. Like, he, so he, like, just kind of, like, stays off into the woods. And... He's also traumatized, right? Oh, for like, sure. He's definitely, he's been having people die around him in this camp, being, thinking that it's, it's Ricky all this time, that Ricky's apparently killed his maybe potential girlfriend, you know? Like, and at least, at the very least, a friend of his. 
even though she was the meanest person around, and Mal would have undoubtedly seen this all this time, he's he's traumatized. And by the fact that what he has just been forced to do or felt forced to do, mm-hmm. his, he was in a blind rage and killed a fucking child. Or at least thought he did. Yeah. Um, because, like, if he thinks, man, people are going to blame me for the death of all these kids, I'm like, well, they'll certainly blame you for killing a kid. Yeah. <laughs> in cold blood. It can't even look like an accident. No, I know. It's like you beat this kid in your mind to death. In one of my favorite reveals in the movie is the fact that when he goes to the archery range and he's like, no, not you, not you. I'm glad that in his final moments he realized he was wrong. Yeah. Because, uh, by the way, the, 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 the camp has been alerted. These children, these young children's bodies have been discovered and they know people are missing. Cops have been called. Counselors have rounded up their kids. Everyone's like looking for a murderer. Without a doubt, they're looking for the murderer. So a lot of shit's going on at once. The camp's all alive. But I really like just the the arrow getting spun in the fingers mm-hmm. before it's shot because it reveals a playfulness and to the character that we're used to seeing so reserved and muted of anything really playful. So I just kind of, like, taunting. Taunting. There's a little bit of that with the very first kill I found with the stool. Because what they're basically doing is using the inertia of this giant fat pato on a little tiny stool. Mm-hmm. And all you really need to do, whether you're a little tiny weak kid or whatever, is tug that stool and he's going to come tumbling down. And he's holding on... Like, there's no way that his giant, fat, fucking stupid arms, head, and fat gut aren't going to make that huge vat of boiling water fall on him. It's just what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So all they need to do is really tug it. But they reach out, you know, and just tug a little bit and scare him. Mm-hmm. And then reach out with the other hand and give a little tug and scare him. Before it, And that goes on for quite a while before they actually pull it out from under his feet. Fucking mm-hmm. burn him to death. Or to hell. Like, burn him a lot. Yeah, burn him alive. Yeah, I he probably died. Let's just say. I'm, I'm assuming he died from all like the trauma, like the pain, the trauma. Of, yeah, he's probably. Although the human body is very resilient to burns, and he very well could have lived through that. Yeah, with cooked eyeballs, but yeah. Yeah. But either way, it is that the first kill shows that sort of playfulness too. But at this point, I don't know if the killer is convinced that it doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to go to jail. Mm-hmm. Because I've killed, like, a dozen fucking people. Mm-hmm. Or if they feel that they may get away with it. Because all this time you thought it was someone else and now they're dead too. And, like, maybe maybe they got up and killed you? I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll get away with this. It's an interesting little scene after this killer's gone. What we think is berserk. Mm-hmm. It's right? a great It's a great shot. Um, even though there was, you, there must have been archery because they nails him right in the throat. Like a bullseye. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. there you go. And he's like, oh, and dies and it's fucking fantastic. That's one of my favorite kills. I always love a good, uh, arrow kill. I don't know why. Yeah. I like a good arrow kill too. Probably cause it's so sudden. Yeah. 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 I like archery and I've had a chance to do archery with long bows like that and compound bows. Mm-hmm. And it is pretty like fun thing to it would probably be a really fun way to kill somebody i suppose because <laughs> there's a certain amount of finesse and skill you need to That's actually true. do that 
and a certain amount of strength to pull a bow back adequately to pierce through a person, especially at that close of a range. Well, Paul is getting his wish because he is going to meet Angela at the beach to talk, but it turns out that what she actually wants to do is go swimming. Well, I don't have my suit. Take your clothes off. And man, you've never seen a kid just like, clothes are coming off. If only he had the like the Velcro stuff that Chippendale stripper boys wear, and he could just like <laughs> rip it off, he mm-hmm. would have. And so that's the last we see of Paul alive, because, and the the slim good body and the nice counselor, the other nice counselor, are are looking all over the place. They find Ricky, who in the in like all the dialogue, the scene itself could just be like, no, nah, he's dead, and then all of a sudden just. Here's a shot of Ricky moving and a guy going, he is alive. Like, it's not like a loop line. Like, it's not coming out from the side. But I was just like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, but if you if you um, look down at your phone and your ears turned off and yeah, you hear yeah. that, you're like, oh, like, it's really like a two second scene because his, his body does look dead when they're carrying it. Absolutely. Off-site. Yeah. So we're coming to the ending and now this ending look if you people are listening to this right now and i know that we sometimes sarcastically say spoilers alert but i'm telling you if you have not seen this fucking movie and you do not want to get spoiled fucking go watch the movie first of all the movie's like 30 odd years old so go watch the movie yeah second of all um it is a movie that is has one of the most notorious twist endings of any horror film and when people are talking about twist endings when people are talking about this film this is inevitably the thing they're fucking going to talk about first thing sleepaway camp it's after the title we did really good that we got halfway through this podcast before we even said the words at the end of the movie or the last five minutes of the movie, because that's all that anyone really talks about. And I am going to admit something to you, to everybody. I admitted to you earlier, but I'll admit to everybody. From the moment I saw this as a kid to the to we just finished watching it, this makes my skin crawl every single time, and it legitimately frightens me. So if you say, like, Wes, what's a horror movie that ending really scared you? Sleepaway Camp. And I'll tell you why. We walk into the beach at night. Angela is crouched away from us. She's naked. You see the body. She's cradling Paul's head. And when she realizes, and she's humming a little song. Yeah. A very sweet song. It's kind of sweet. And you know that there's something wrong right away. Not only because they're both naked, but it's just something about the way that... Paul's uh, butt is to you, but uh, she's holding the head upright. And she is non-responsive, which isn't weird for Angela, but it's doubly weird right now because we're naked at night. She turns and you see the head, Paul's head, roll to the side. Angela stands up naked. And it's a boy. What happened was initially, that scene at the very start, you're not sure which one of the kids was killed. But since we're presented to Angela as a girl, you would assume that the boy was killed. Well, what actually happened was the father was killed, the daughter was killed, and the young boy was sent to live with the aunt who wanted a girl. They already had a son. So they raised Angela as a girl when, in fact, they were a boy. I guess they're suggesting that this sort of psychological trauma brought her to murder him to murder however you want to say it the reason why this scene scares me so much it always creeps me out is the fucking look on her face is so 
weird and unnerving to me. Mm-hmm. Her her eyes are wild. Her mouth is agape. She's making this fucking weird sound. I swear to God that a four-legged serpent-winged fucking demon dragon is about to crawl itself up out of her guts and out that gaping mouth and like fly amongst the wild winds of night and desolate the countryside with fire breath because that's what it looks like it looks that kind of scary now the full frontal shot of angela naked is a a dude wearing an angela mask now the, the the face in that in the wide shots looks so fucking weird just like dead-eyed and i think it's this it's this uncanny valley thing that's creeping you out even more so mm-hmm. than anything else going on in the scene because you've seen penises before people with knives and decapitations and stuff in horror movies you've seen all of these things and you've seen a lot of these things together before too mm-hmm. but it's the look you're totally right that wild-eyed but it's that your brain because i didn't know until i was much much older i didn't know till the internet told me that that was a mask I thought it was Angela with a fucking dick, with a fake dick on. I thought yeah. the dick was the fake thing. Yeah, the, it's not the, a fake shark, real zombie fight here. I thought it was a real Angela, fake dick. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's not. No, it's not. It's, it's a stunt a, dick it's, it's, yeah, and it's a, a fake Angela. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have to not do anything. When they do the close-up shots of Angela, what we're, like, we're discussing this when we watched it, is that there's nothing that they could really do because they were stuck with that wide shot. Mm-hmm. Of the boy wearing the Angela mask that wasn't animatronic. Yeah, it couldn't move. It was a frozen mask with this mouth agape. So, but my question is, there's a set shots of her face getting cast for the mask. So why was it just like, oh, have your mouth open because you're going to be screaming? And they're just like, well, that looks weird. Now you have to duplicate what the mask looks like. And so you have to have your mouth as a gay, like as wide as humanly possible. I wish... I was more researched on this film, but I mean, most of the information I have just comes from the fact that like, I just picked things up over the years, but I've never really learned the genesis of why that facial expression. Now, look, if the, if you're just like, Wes, the reason why she's making such a weird fucking face is because it freaks people out. It freaked you out, didn't it? I'm like, yeah. So mission accomplished. It freaked me the fuck out. And it's still, it still fucking does. In dailies, it could have been like, open your mouth a little wide and do this and like, make it like this because this is what the... You know, or not in dailies, but when they're casting it and they're like, you know, trying to look scary. And maybe she opened her mouth uncommonly wide and they all went, whoa. And everyone was like, that, that's perfect because all you are scared. So we'll have to do that. Or maybe the mask didn't fit exactly well. And that's what I'm led to believe. And I don't know because I haven't really researched too, too deeply. I know they talked about this on the faculty of horror but i gapped out during that part when they were talking about this kid that they had standing in this boy they had standing in with an angela mask on there have been interviews with felisa rose since so i'm sure she covers it because that's got to be the burning question on everyone's mind so there's probably interviews out there where she talks about why they had that particular look there's photographs of her contemporary photographs of her recreating that look Mm -hmm. so there was probably a lot more thought put into it. Mm-hmm. And the why was probably just because either they were limited to what they could do with the face mask or it was what scared people. Mm-hmm. It's one of those endings that is defining for the genre when people are talking about twist endings. Now, I will say that 
the the thing about how this movie is perceived is that people focus a lot on the twist ending. But I always want to draw people's attention to the fact that the twist ending is amazing and it's so creepy and you don't and if you you don't see it coming, it's going to fucking blow your hair back because you had no fucking idea. Well, how many times in a, in watching horror films have you sat back at the end of the movie and then had to rewind it and watch that last yeah, 10 minutes exactly. over again and exactly. again and again. That's what I did. That's what we did when mm-hmm. we watched it. And I mean, I did that today. You actually did do that today. <laughs> I think I've done it before. This is like, this is a thing I do. I rewatch that ending mm-hmm. just to see it over and over. It's so perfect. But there's a really well-crafted movie before the last five minutes. Oh, for sure. And a lot of times people will perceive, I mean, I've heard it even just from our listeners, but the, it's like sometimes this movie is perceived like, oh, it's a comedy. And I've seen people that I really respect review this movie and they talk about like, oh, you know, it's pretty funny sometimes. The jokes on lightheartedness? I don't But, I, but think I was so just either. like, this movie is not fucking funny. Like, what, like, what are you talking... Like, I understand, like, kids are being kids and, and, like, you could find humor in some kids being rambunctious and shit, but, like, there is nothing funny about this the movie. The only two things that are funny is Eat Shit and Live. Eat Shit and Live, yeah, yeah, that's good. Or the Carpenter's Dream Dig. Your Carpenter's yeah, Dream flies yeah, yeah. board needs a screw. I, I mean, the kids... And then she gets slapped. Yeah, the kids are good because, I, I mean, like I said, the kids do a really good job in this movie. But it's not funny, and I think that that's sometimes confused with... And this is a lot of the reactions of people that, that people make when I watch horror movies and other people are in the room... When there's somebody in strife, or there's somebody struggling, or there's somebody that's particularly angry, or there's any sort of real, like, really overwrought emotion, they laugh. And it's an uncomfortable laughter, because they don't know any other way to fucking react. So they just titter, or giggle, or chortle. And it's fucking deeply annoying to me. So maybe there's enough uncomfortable scares in this film or enough uncomfortable situations or things dealing with things like pedophilia um and swapped up gender roles dealing with bullying dealing with where that fucking curling iron went that people think it's a comedy because their only reaction was to laugh so when they think back on this movie all they remember is laughing uncomfortably so they think that they had a good time? Are people really that easily confused? It's possible. I definitely think that from a certain standpoint, you people who maybe do get uncomfortable with this type of stuff will sort of laugh nervously at it or just decide, yeah, this is kind of funny, isn't it? Or what I th- honestly think is people think about Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3 which are way more comedic, yeah. openly comedic. Yeah. And and they forget that the first one is not fucking funny at all. Yeah. Like and and I don't, and that's not to say that oh that's not good. I like uh, comedy sprinkled into my horror just fine, but I also like movies that are fucking serious and I think that what Sleepaway Camp does better than any other camp slasher is treat this shit seriously. The deaths are brutal. The ending is mind-blowing. People yeah. are fucking creepy. Kids are cruel. And yeah, I mean, the kids make jokes and there's... It's not an unfun movie to watch. But... Because it's not like, you know, sometimes you put on a movie and you're like, woof, this is a marathon. You know, where there's not a lot of yucks to be had. And not only is there not a lot of yucks to be had, but it's like emotionally 
draining, I spit in your grave, something like that. Yeah. Where you're just like, woof. But like, this is like, oh, this is a serious sit yeah. uh, where you have to be mentally prepared. Sleepaway Camp is a very easy movie to watch, but anyone who thinks that it's openly comedic is out of their mind or have heard that so many times yeah. that they just take it as fact. They're like, yeah, it's, it's, more, it's more comedy. It's not... Well, yeah, Sleepaway Camp, it doesn't sound like a scary movie. You know, you say, like, I spit on your grave. That doesn't sound like a fun ride either from title alone. Yeah. You know? Um, but Sleepaway Camp, it yeah, kind of sounds camp. fun. It's like, you might as well call it Camp Tillicum. And then people might be thinking, you know, look at the, the cover. It's a little cartoony. It's brutal and it's cool and I love it. Mm-hmm. But it is a little cartoony. And if you look at some of the stills, like especially the end still... People might come away with like, okay, it's it's loony. There's there's looniness to be had when there really isn't. I mean, the only thing that we found really comedic, aside from that, that vulgarity, because I'll always find that funny. Yeah. But the crop tops, maybe. Yeah, the crop tops. Yeah. I mean, I can't even make fun of some of the incidental music because it was made um, specifically for this movie, yeah. and I actually kind of like it. So you can't yeah. even like make fun of that and like you said the a lot of the score is orchestral it's orchestral like, it's a, not or synth scores funny. of this era were very popular this was a full orchestral yeah orchestra aside from the synth incidental music which all mm-hmm. sounds like what would have been actually cool to listen to at this era it mm-hmm. wasn't like really bad radio music it's pretty decent music actually yeah um at sleepawaycampmovies.com, you can find a full listing of all of the score and incidental music. Mm-hmm. Incidentally. Because <laughs> I loved This movie uh, has a massive following. People love this fucking franchise. Some, and there are people who really enjoy Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3. I don't hate them. But I just think that... Because I don't really... It's, it's rare for me to be like, oh, I hate this movie. But... I just think Sleepaway Camp 1 is so fucking good. It is. And, and the others are a little more of what people would term like a popcorn movie. Yeah. 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 But this is a serious horror movie. It yeah. is a serious camp slasher. Yeah. What do we got next for him? What do we have next? We have Slumber Party Massacre and Repulsion. Mm-hmm. Another fan request. Slumber Party Massacre is good. We did Sleepaway Camp. So we want a little bit of a, a vacation. It's a little chilly out still. But now, we're going to get cozy. We're going to get cozy. Going to get in my jam jams. Little group of gals. Yeah. Getting together. And then we'll have the slumber party of one with repulsion. Oh, yeah. Requested yeah. by Chris Legrest from Bind Torture Cast. That's good. If you guys are interested in sending us a movie that you would like us to talk about on the show, just like Marion did today, you can tweet me at deadair0001, or you can talk to us on Facebook, or you can message us on SoundCloud. And... Uh, we will add it to the pile. Yeah, it might take us a little while to get to it because we do have our roster and we do thread these delicately together somehow. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's a mystery to us how our movies relate to one another. But, yeah, so it might take us a bit. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes it takes us a bit to acquire a film. Yeah, it's true. Thankfully, I had uh, Sleepaway Camp tucked safely away on my massive wall of movies. Or that giant bed that he sleeps on like a dragon on a pile of money yeah i've seen it i've it's, seen it it's my treasure it's your treasure it's my buried treasure i'm glad that it was not so buried so deep in your buried treasure oh it's true it's kind of like you can imagine like a trio of adventurers breaking into my home 
so they could like get my riches and it's just me sleeping on a big pile of horror movies fuck yeah now if only someone would request soul tangler or the butcher boy i'd be happy but no <laughs> no <laughs> on that note i'm last night i'm typical lydia and you've been listening to dead air